Hello and welcome back to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts, and on this podcast I discuss 21st century Icelandic film with my good friend Ellie Cawthorn. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for listening and for exploring the cinema of my favourite country with us. It's week three of series three, and I promise we'll be firmly back on Icelandic soil soon. I say this because we're covering an exciting and energetic thriller that straddles two countries this week, Iceland and the Netherlands. That's right, Ellie and I hopped aboard the good ship Detifoss, along with every male Icelandic actor we've ever seen, and smuggled our way through Oskar Jonasson's Reykjavik Rotterdam from 2008. Before we get stuck in, a reminder that you can join the conversation and see some lovely pictures on Instagram and Twitter, where we're at Kvikminderpod. That's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D. Please also rate us on Spotify and Apple. It really does help people find us. And if you'd like to help us keep the podcast going, why not bung us the cost of a coffee over on our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash quickminderpod. And so, from coffee to booze. How's it going? Not so bad, thank you. How are you? Good. Ready for some fast-paced, boat-based action. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is certainly a much more sort of generic, commercial Mm -hmm. kind of genre thriller, isn't it, really? Yeah. When you gave me the DVD, the cover, I thought, oh no. It does... I'm not sure I'm going to be into this, but I actually really enjoyed it, you know. It was an hour and a half that whipped by entertainingly. Yeah, so we are talking about Reykjavik Rotterdam this week from 2008, directed by Oskar Jonasson. Uh, and basically, it's a Jar City reunion, plus <laughs> everyone else we've ever seen shoved on board a boat. <laughs> it does start pretty... I think everybody in this seems to have been in a different film we've watched yes. in one of our series. Well, i tell you what's interesting is I've been talking to one of our listeners uh, who has been explaining how it gets a little bit tiring seeing all the same people on TV, in the films, on stage, down the shops. And <laughs> it's so funny. And her name is Unur. And I think it's just hilarious. We're, we kind of find it funny seeing them all pop up in the 16 films we've covered or whatever it is. But actually, when you see them in real life every day, 
and on TV every day, it must be kind of um, annoying. I imagine, though, that people in Iceland must have a slightly different relationship with celebrities or actors because, as you say, they're everywhere. Yeah. One man in particular. <laughs> yeah, he does pop up a lot. Um, Una was saying how she walked down the road and Olafur Dari Olafsson was just sat in his car, you know, outside City Hall. Of course he was, because mm. these people live in Iceland and work there and, you know, mm. they're just locals. Love it. I mean, it is true. We've heard many times, or I've heard many times, if you speak to the right person, they will know anyone you could name, uh, whether that's Björk or Jönsi <laughs> or whoever. It's like just a little, it's a tiny little city, a tiny little country, and they're all there, aren't they? So, we should probably say who's in this one then. Shall I, I read out a list of names? Yeah. See, how, see who you can remember and recognise. Take us through. So we've got... Baltasar Komakur. Who we've seen primarily as a director. That's right. He was the Jar City director mm -hmm. and the director of 101 Reykjavik. We haven't seen anything of him since series one, actually, have we? No, since we saw him with a lizard on his shoulder. We've also got Ingvar Sigurdsson. He plays Stein Grimur. Then it's just like a list of who's who. We've got Thruster Leo, who was Noe's dad in mm -hmm. Noe Albanoe. Again, a slightly sleazy. Um, good for nothing type here. Sort of. I mean, he holds down a job, so that's slightly more than... While doing criminal activities <laughs> on the side, yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Theodore Juliusson, you remember who that is? As um, kind of uh, Captain Birdseye here. <laughs> uh, yes. Of course, we've seen him in a couple of things, haven't we? We've seen him in Jar City as a psychopath. Yeah. We've seen him in Rams as Kiddy. Absolutely. Olafur Dari Olafsson, the aforementioned who we haven't really seen in any real big role. Uh, he pops up briefly at the start of Let Me Fall. He's in 101 Reykjavik as Baltasar Kormakur's mate, uh, looking very, very young. Um, but really, he's he's kind of one of the most recognisable Icelandic actors out there because he's been in a lot of Hollywood stuff. Recently, the TV series The Tourist. I don't know if you saw that on BBC. I haven't got round to it yet. It's pretty great. And he is a big man in that <laughs> big scary kind of gangster kind of guy but most famous for being the lead actor in Trapped mm -hmm. which we're still waiting on series three of over here and then we've got Johannes Hoiker Johannesson who plays Erikur 
Now, did mm. you recognise him? Yes, from the ghosty <laughs> one, which the name of which is just from I Remember You, of course. Yeah. Yes. And he pops up all over the place nowadays. He's in the new Vikings spin-off series, Vikings Valhalla. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just sort of pops up everywhere now. Less Icelandic stuff, more, I don't know, international stuff. Clearly this Reykjavik Rotterdam was the film to be in if you want to go on to an illustrious career. It's true. It's true. And of course, this was written by Arnaldur Indrithason, co-written the screenplay with the, with the director, who of course wrote the novel and the screenplay for Jar City. So we're on sort of familiar ground here, aren't we? We've got a, yeah. a crime thriller starring everyone we know. Shall I give us a little synopsis? Please do. Okay. So Christopher, a security guard whose family are barely holding it together, but for some kind help from his friend Steingrimur, is tempted back to his smuggling ways when his brother-in-law Arnur fails to deliver drugs to gangster Erikur after a trip to Rotterdam on board a cargo ship. Thus ensues a twisty crime caper with as much humour as there is action as Christopher attempts to smuggle a buttload of alcohol back to Iceland while trying to avoid getting caught by Captain Birdseye. (laughs) (laughs) Very neat, very neatly done. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. It is it. And I've got a note here that says, like, it's a pretty simple story, but the film is quite complex with its twists and turns and and sort of double-crossing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a classic... I don't know if I'd call it an action movie, but a classic thriller crime plot. Yeah. There's also quite a good subplot, which I enjoyed, um, back home in Iceland. So mm. obviously we have Christopher on his smuggling mission, which obviously goes a bit awry and we'll maybe talk about that. But at home, there's another sub- subplot unfolding involving his wife, mm-hmm. Iris, and his friend, Stain Grimmer. And I think that actually is quite a nice little subplot as well. Well, yeah, especially come the end when everything ties together, because it sort of feels like it's running in two parallel straight lines and Mm. they're interesting and fun. But then to see them kind of weave together towards the end was a nice surprise. And I think it works really well. Like you say, there's quite a lot of humour in there and it could have been a much darker film. And I was actually anticipating a film that took itself much more seriously, but it was quite... It didn't get too bogged down in its own somberness. It was quite fast-paced and fun yeah. and thrilling. And you and you did back the characters, I think. Yeah. I was like, I really hope the smuggling mission goes well. Because I, I had, a, had a thought that actually, do should we care if Christopher achieves the goal of smuggling all this alcohol back? Because really... He's a, he's broken the law in the past. He's gone to jail. This is also breaking the law. And the, are his, is his situation really that dire that he needs to do it? But actually, I kind of... I came to the conclusion that it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> People want to get drunk, games on alcohol. No, but I think that isn't that the point of any good ca- crime caper, that you're really backing the anti-hero, generally. Mm. You know, any heist movie... You want the heist to, you know, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. You want them to steal the money. You don't want them to get caught halfway through. No, that's and it's so the true. same here. Yeah, exactly. There are just enough stakes here for Christopher because, you know, he's obviously given up his smuggling ways. We know that in the past he went to jail for getting a whole load of alcohol from Rotterdam back to Iceland. And now his brother-in-law failing to do the same. Although we do learn he's trying to smuggle something slightly different back to Iceland. 
And it's interesting. I think the this is quite a commercial film and it does fit within the whole crime genre in a much more simple way than any film we've really covered in this on this mm. podcast. Everything's kind of unique. Whereas this film is, yeah, it could sit amongst a lot of the Hollywood type films. But what does make it Icelandic is that they're smuggling booze back to Iceland. <laughs> it seems so low stakes, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Or it seems so kind of provincial. Yeah. It's like alcohol is just, it's everywhere. And why alcohol? It's not, it's A, it's legal. B, you can go and buy it. I don't know. It just seems guess, a bit... I guess you can just make a bit of a mark upon it, right? And it's that kind of lowbrow type of... Lowbrow sounds so... Not one of the high forms of crime, but you know what I mean? It's There's loads of crime in the world that is mm. is just kind of people trying to fiddle the margins, you know, make a tiny bit more. And if your options are get paid nothing per hour as a security guard or make a kind of half decent, maybe not even that good, um, bit of money on the side doing this... Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And I think that's the kind of realm we're working in. We're not we're not working on high-end heists, are we here? No, we're not. It, it sort of reminds me of, um, is it still a thing? But Brits going to France for a booze cruise, you know, <laughs> going over there, getting the cheap wine and coming back. And then, if you fancied it, selling it on. Um, I, qu- I quite enjoyed that side of it, though, that these were just ordinary people. And it did seem like a crime that lots of people could get away with and even the fact that they they knew him as a smuggler he was yeah. known to all the people in the shipping community and they were just like oh well i guess it's just christopher you know fine <laughs> whatever um i quite liked that banality of crime mm. element to it yeah very much and what makes it icelandic actually is so if we look at alcohol as a thing in iceland it's state controlled so I can't remember whether we've spoken about it before, but you can only buy alcohol in Iceland at state-run shops called Vinbuthin. So you can't go into a supermarket and buy alcohol. You can't pop anywhere other than these certain stores to buy your wine, your spirits, your beer, oh. unless it's less than 2.2% or something. Is that to, to control the industry, I guess? I guess so. And it means that everyone's paying the same amount for, for everything, although it is very expensive. So I think there's your reason, isn't it? Mm. You know, it may not be illegal, but it's certainly too expensive to uh, to perhaps drink to the level that you might want. Um, so bringing in cheap booze and selling it on the black market is probably quite a good idea. Yeah, you um, convinced yourself there. I think I have. Yeah. <laughs> So, like I said, it's a bit of a twisty film. Do you think we could quickly try and run through the stages of what happens? Because it's, it is quite complex. We can try. Okay. <clears throat> so let's try and do a sort of ping pong game here of, uh, of, 
of moments that happen and see how far mm-hmm. we get. So, okay, I'll start with something very simple. The first thing we see is some sort of deal gone wrong mm-hmm. with a gangster and some guy running away scared for his life. That guy running away for his life, it turns out to be Arna, who is who we find out is the brother-in-law of this guy, Christopher. And mm-hmm. he has a family, as you say, barely, barely holding it together. But we get a sense that they're a tight-knit family, pretty close. Yeah. And it turns out that Arna had tried to smuggle something into the country. Christopher also used to do it. And his family are pretty poor. Christopher's friend... Stain Glimmer mm-hmm. is kind of sniffing around the family, helping them out with stuff though. But does he have some other motivation? Yeah, he seems a bit creepy, doesn't he? He seems a bit creepy. <laughs> so Stain Glimmer helps out a lot. He offers him a fridge, he offers him money, but he also says maybe he, Christopher should go and do one last booze run and get some money for the family and he'll split it 50-50. Mm-hmm. So he arranges it. He gets him a job on this boat, captained by a kind of quite traditional, grumpy old captain. And Christopher gets on board and finds that all the people on board are, are kind of his mates, really, who are in on the the hustle as well. Yeah. And then they all run around the ship trying to find somewhere to hide all the stuff. And then we get to Rotterdam where Arna steals the money that's supposed to go to the guy who's selling them the booze. And Jensen and Christopher go to a warehouse that is empty. So then they decide to go somewhere else and end up with some Dutch gangster guy. Oh, of course. Now we're on to the Dutch gangsters. So the Dutch gangster basically says, you have to do this job for me gets them to pretend to be road workers while they essentially rob a transit van, which turns out has a, a big painting in it, yeah. which I think is meant to be a Jackson Pollock, I right? would say so, yeah. And anyway, that goes wrong. There's a big shootout. And then Christopher and his mate end up with this painting, flee back to the ship. Yep, and they get back to the ship without Arna, who had run off previously. Turns out he's there. He had smuggled in drugs. Um, Christopher's not happy about that. So they have to come up with a plan to get the drugs and the booze back from Rotterdam to Iceland without being rumbled by the captain who 100% knows that they're stealing (laughs) something. And he uses the rest of the crew to help him with that. In the meantime, back in Iceland, um, Christopher's wife, Iris, has been threatened by this kind of gang of gang of thugs, really. And she's leaning on Stainegrimmer to kind of protect her and help her and support her. But he's becoming increasingly creepy, attached. I would say. Attached. <laughs> Clearly, he's got romantic feelings for her and it's all getting a bit intense. Mm. And then that story is kind of weird because Stainegrimmer gets Iris to move in with him as the gangsters are making their moves and threatening Iris. But what we don't realise is that Stangroom is kind of behind it and he is manoeuvring Iris to get close to him because he still fancies her because it seems like they were once a thing and he wants her back. Yeah, so the ferry is almost back in Reykjavik, but Iris is aware that the situation with Stangroom is getting a bit uncomfortable. They have a kind of showdown in which he opens like slams a door open she's behind it falls hits her head on the radiator and is by all accounts seemingly dead yep and this is happening at the exact same time like you said the ferry's pulling in there's helicopters the police the customs are all there waiting for them 
But there's nothing on board the ship that they can find except for a bottle with a picture of the captain and a load of booze in it. <laughs> and so Christopher walks off the ship completely fine, no, no arrests or anything, leaving us wondering what the fuck has happened to all the booze and the drugs. And has the sort of smuggling worked? Where is everything? So then he meets up with Erica and his gang and says, you know what, fine. It's a, a, a kind of unhappy alliance. Fine, I'll get take you to the drugs. I've put them in my mate's house. Come with me. <laughs> so they go there. And we obviously find out that it's actually the captain's house. They start getting all the drugs out. Christopher legs it, calls the police, and the captain and Erica and his gang all look like they've been on in, been in on it together. And they're arrested as a smuggling ring. Yep. So Christopher runs off and he wants to get to Iris because he has a feeling Stain... Well, he knows Staingrim has double-crossed him and that he's no good for Iris. Can't find him at the flat. He can't find him at Staingrim's apartment. So he goes to his workplace on the building site where Staingrim <laughs> has wrapped Iris in plastic and dumped her body in the foundations of a house and is attempting to cover her in concrete. <laughs> Wild. Uh, but... As the concrete is literally coming out of the concrete mixer, Christopher calls Iris. Her phone goes off and he's like, wait a minute. Manages to drag her out of the concrete. And somehow she's alive. Very unrealistic, but fine. And then cut to the sea where a load of salt bags are finally dissolved, leaving the booze to rise to the surface and get collected by Christopher's friends. And the final shot is Christopher and Iris in a new house, painting the walls, living a happy life, using the Jackson Pollock (laughs) painting as, you know, protection for the floor. (laughs) End. Wow. A lot went on, basically. It's a lot, and we didn't cover half of the stuff that happened there. Mm. So, you know... It is a basic story, but that just took us like five minutes to <laughs> explain in not very much detail the plot. Mm. Having gone through that plot, do you have any sort of moments or questions or anything you want to talk about? Yeah, one question. Okay, one at, question. <laughs> at the end, we see them collecting all the booze, as you say. They'd hidden it in the sea. But my first question is, they didn't buy any booze in Rotterdam anyway. So where did this booze come from? Because Arnold <laughs> ran off with the money, correct? Correct. To buy the ecstasy. Correct. They then took part in this accidental art heist. When did the booze get taken hold of? Okay, so this is the hilarious thing, is that Hoogland, the scary Dutch gangster, he lets them load the van with the booze before he's taken any of the money. Uh... So when they open the bag to Terrible find... Terrible gangstering. I mean, yeah. Surely the first thing you do is make sure the bag is full of money. Anyway, he doesn't do that. So the van is full. And when Christopher and Jensen get back to the van with the Jackson Pollock, they just cover up the booze with the painting and drive the van to the okay. docks. I understand now. Thank you for explaining that. You're welcome. Like you say, it's a twisty-turny film. There's all sorts going on. And it is fast-paced. It's kinetic. It's busy. Next question. I thought I only had one. This is great. We'll just go through and I'll answer all your questions. (laughs) (laughs) How um, 
obviously the the ecstasy was in the captain's car. Yeah. Why did the captain have his car aboard the ship? So he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like a moron. The ecstasy was inside the hoover, which if you, at the start of the film, we see his wife take the hoover out the car, bring it onto the ship, and assuming Christopher put the ecstasy back into the hoover before they docked in Reykjavik, the hoover was then moved to the captain's car to drive home. So the captain just brought his own hoover aboard with him then? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> you say it like that makes any more sense. Well, there was that, that moment when they're all getting on the ship at the start when the mm. captain's like, move this thing and move that thing and... Bring my hoover bring to my, me. <laughs> bring, yeah, help get the carpet cleaner on board. I'm like, okay, random moment to, uh, <laughs> to, to point out. But he does. There is a hoover. And it does get filled with ecstasy and it does end up back at his house. Fine. It's a plot contrivance, but it's kind of funny. Yeah, it is good fun. You know, the whole thing is pretty funny, actually. And you were talking about how you're expecting this film to be an action, much more glossy type of thriller. Well, this got turned into a Hollywood movie starring Mark Wahlberg called Contraband, (sighs) um, directed by Baltasar Kormakur in the end, um, but written by someone else. And there were lots of things changed, like they're not smuggling booze into America because why would you need to do that? And I don't know if I've seen it. It's possible but it's certainly glossy, focuses way more on the action and doesn't look funny at all. The trailer is the most po-faced <laughs> trailer you've ever seen. And the reviews of that are piss poor, to say the really? least. I think part of the charm of this film that is that it's slightly scruffy. And as we say, slightly kind of low rent. It, it, and I mean it, that yeah. as a compliment. Like it's like about ordinary people rather than it being incredibly, as you say, Hollywood shootouts and really glossy. I mean, there is one shootout, but... There is, and it's interesting you bring up guns because Erico doesn't have a gun. The only Icelandic gangster in the film and his little thugs, they fight people with their fists, but Mm. they certainly don't have any guns because that's not Iceland. And I think the writers knew that, and so they didn't want to go over the top with the whole Iceland stuff Mm. because if it doesn't seem, doesn't ring true, then... You know, it's not going to appeal to the Icelandic viewers. And of course, this was made in 2008 before anything had really broken through into the international market. Maybe Jar City had shown they could do it. But to keep things sort of realistic, they left the guns out of the Reykjavik side of things. But when they arrived in Rotterdam, then we can have a kind of Hollywood gangster Mm. with the guns and the shootout, like you say, with the police when things go absolutely crazy. He made he made me laugh the um, Dutch gangster because he was quite a you know a pencil portrait of a gangster pretty much you know swaggering and with this kind of weird cod American accent it was kind of like Dutch American I guess that's quite often you know um, I think if Dutch and German people learn English they yeah. often have more of an American twang because he was speaking English I don't know he was very much like. A classic gangster. Yeah, he was drawn as 
typical gangster mm. guy, even though all he is doing is selling some alcohol. <laughs> um, although, I mean, obviously he does go and raid a van with a priceless work of art. Yeah, it's quite kind of too disparate. He had quite a busy day on that day, didn't he? You know, yeah. a little booze uh, smuggling deal in the morning and then within a couple of hours, a quite <laughs> major international art heist. Yeah. I, and and as if he'd planned it without two extra people. <laughs> yeah. Like, we do need two people to set up a fake roadblock. Um, and you just happen to be here. Perfect. <laughs> but, you know, that's fine. Yeah. I don't know how the police got there so fast, but that's okay as well. It's one of those films, isn't it, where don't dig into the intricacies of real um, events. No. Because it, it all would quite quickly fall apart but that's not the charm of it the charm is just the the fun it is it's fun it races along you're with christopher because he is a likable character Mm. he is funny he is he's not quite as suave as danny ocean but he's he's someone to root for like you say and he's funny and he clearly knows what he's doing not that we realize it until the very end yeah these are people that are fun to watch Mm. i think like you say the the people that we're rooting for are kind of likable rogues. Yeah. And the guys on the boat, we've got a rogues gallery, really, haven't we? Of Some some are a bit useless, some are a bit um, canny, in quite a kind of prison drama-y type of way, you know? Yeah, they're a gang of crooks. They yeah. know each other well. They've all got... They've got this relationship with each other. They're all mates. Yeah, it's... So and we, you can feel it. So I think the, the likable characters are, are quite likable. And the baddies are quite unlikable. Mm. As in, we've got Erica, who's almost like a kind of spoiled child, head of this gang of thugs, um, showing off, really, and trying to look more intimidating, I think, than maybe he is. He's got a leather jacket on. (laughs) (laughs) Such a 2000s leather jacket. Oh, yeah. But we also have Stangrimmer, who I think um, Ingvar Sigurdsson does a really good job of that kind of slightly creepy i'm your friend i'm trying to help you actually i'm gonna be a creep well stain grimmer is kind of the most complex character here because mm. we've got christopher who's okay he's got a shady past but he has a family and he's settled down and he just wants his classic one last job and then he's out and we've got his wife who's you know his wife and she's the mother and the and doing what she can for the family And I thought she was a good character, actually, in terms of with my feminist hat on. Mm -hmm. She was not too much of a simpering at-home wife. You know, she was saying, don't do this stupid drug deal. Think of your family. But she wasn't just a mother. She was also, she had a bit of something to her. Yeah, and we see that she, we see her working. It's not like she just exists to be the wife Mm. in in that respect. She has a bigger role than that, doesn't she? Yeah. And there is a tendency in Hollywood films to to get rid of the the love interest or the wife very early on in films like this. Yeah. In a they call it fridging. Is this really? Yeah. So it all comes I from. I mean, there some... is some fridge chat in this film, but I think you mean different time. <laughs> that's very true, actually. Maybe that's an internal joke. Um, you know, but so the the term fridging comes from a comic book, I think, where the heroes love interest is killed right at the start and it sets the plot in motion Mm. and if you watch a lot of hollywood films that happens so much that 
the 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 female the main female character has no agency she just exists to die to move the plot along and actually that doesn't happen here i know iris nearly dies but she doesn't and actually she is kind of crucial to the plot actually i'm trying to think of examples of fridging and all i can think of is john wick but it's a dog that well, gets quiet. fridged. They fridge the bloody dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think Deadpool does it actually. I can't think of any other examples oh, off the top I'm, of my head. No, but... but there are. I know, it's a trope, isn't it? It is a trope, and I'm glad that that didn't happen here. Christopher. <laughs> Christopher. But should we talk about Steingrimmer? Because, yeah, like you say, Ingvar Sigurdsson does such a good job of being this friend. And he does come across like a friend, but also the whole time there's just something a bit wrong yeah. about him. He obviously has a thing for Iris, but we're like, okay, well, they must have moved past that. And they must be aware that he once liked Iris. And I think we do find out that they had a thing once. Mm. But the fact that he literally double crosses his best mate, who he's an AA with, to get with his wife is just quite a big and nasty thing to do. Mm, I quite like a, a storyline as well in the crime drama that isn't just like crime slash money motivated. Mm. Sometimes they, they're, people's only motivation is that he would have a deal with a different, you know, drug dealer or whatever yeah but i quite like it when you throw in a emotional motive you know that he just is in love with her and and wants her back really yeah and will do anything for also it. he's very he he had a general weird vibe like um he had very much a kind of dad fleece vibe which yeah. was not uh didn't go that well in my mind with drug dealing and um and shady criminal connections but that worked quite well in a way because he looked like the safe christopher you know had his little man bracelet and a couple of <laughs> tattoos to make him look like a badass like a a bit of a rogue as yeah. we've said can't keep down a job and doesn't have any money for his family Stangrimer obviously had more money he seems more sensible more reliable more dependable but actually he's the real creep well, that's it. And actually, he's not that he's not that shady because he's not involved with the drugs as far as I can tell. But he's like has connections with all the... Like with the one gangster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And casting Ingvar Sigurdsson is quite a good um, bit of casting, really, because you don't expect him to be the bad guy, especially after watching Jar City, where he is literally the good guy. Mm. Um, he might be a bit grumpy. But he's the good guy. He's solving the crimes. He's not committing them and mm. and all of that kind of thing. So yeah, he's just he's great, isn't he? Mm. 
So we talked about the gangsters and that's kind of the harsher side of this film. We've got guns, we've got people beating people up. Gangsters, Erica driving a car through the window of Iris's hairdressers, which is pretty big action for an Icelandic film, really, that we've seen. We haven't seen much of that kind of craziness before. But one of the themes that we did pick up on, especially in the first series, is that kind of dry, dark humour that runs through a lot of the films. And here we have so much humour. Were there any moments that you thought were, were particularly funny? Well, I really enjoyed, in general, the kind of cat and mouse game on the boat, where <laughs> yes. clearly the captain knows. Oh, he 100% knows. He knows that the crew are trying to do this smuggling mission, and he's just trying to thwart them in every way, mm-hmm. and they're trying to thwart him. Yeah. So there's, I mean, the opening moment where he basically gets on board and turns on on all of the speakers, uh, this kind of Icelandic accordion music. It like goes from surf music, which is out of place yeah. in itself, but they kind of like it, into a sea shanty. Yeah, and you can see them all go, oh God, the captain's on board. Yeah. Um, there's also an incident with, you know, muddy boots on deck, Yeah. which, you know, I don't understand how the shoes are getting muddy when all they've been <laughs> on is on board a boat. There's no mud anywhere. I can't, I don't think I can argue with that. Um, Unless it's oil, but it doesn't look like oil. Mm. But that, all the stuff that around the captain is so funny. It did have a good kind of capery feel when they're trying to find all these places on the boat that they can stash the booze. And he's always like turning around the corner and trying to find them. And they're all saying, oh, Christopher is just in the other room. Goes to the other room and they say, oh no, I think he was over there. (laughs) It's, It's perfect. It's so funny. And it happens... You see them on the way to Rotterdam. You see them on the way back. And that payoff when Christopher's finally in the kitchen is just perfect. Because mm-hmm. the captain's at, the, at his wit's end. He's like, he's not here, is he? And then there he is, putting on his apron. Mm-hmm. It's just brilliant. So funny. Quite a fish to it. I need any messer. Fish to it, I also enjoyed the um, the Jackson Pollock kind of jokes where they obviously end up with this mm. stolen painting which might be worth more than... Oh, it's likely worth a lot more than the booze that they've just Any bag of drugs. In. Yeah. Um, and they obviously have no understanding of the value of it. So they just use it as a blanket, essentially, to cover all the booze they've, they're smuggling. Mm-hmm. And we see them drive past a sign yeah. that says, you know, modern American art exhibition <laughs> with a picture of the painting they've just stolen on it. And of course, that final moment, the joke comes back again. I love, yeah, those running jokes are, are just perfect. Like, they're not necessarily laugh out loud, but they're that undercurrent of like... Witty. Yeah, very witty. And that scene when they when they're with the, with Hoogland and they've got all the booze and Jensen realizes that he that they haven't got any money so he just he's like run jumps in the van drives the van straight into the garage door 
<laughs> it was just classic slapstick, but so funny. And even Hoogland, the gangster's just like, what are you doing? Fucking mm. Icelanders. Like, he doesn't even really react. Just like, you're an idiot. Mm. <laughs> and even the, the car, there's a bit more car slapstick later as well, isn't there? Where they drive the car into the shipping container yes. and then realise that they can't actually get out because the doors are too tightly packed. <laughs> so I think now... <laughs> I think after so many films we've seen that have been quite considered, Lamb being a great example, A White White Day for another example, really profound, slow, thoughtful pieces. It is quite refreshing to have something that just whips along with an entertaining plot and not really anything to think about beyond that. Yes. So I think that humour, a lot of that humour, probably comes from the director, Oscar Jonasson, because he apparently... So he wrote the, he wrote the film with Arnold and Jotherson, who knows his crime very well. Perhaps not so much the humour. Uh, as far as I can remember, there's not a lot of humour in, in the Airlander books, um, and certainly not in Jar City. But Jonasson is famous mostly for doing comedy. So he... I haven't seen this, but there's a film from the 90s, his first feature film, called Sodoma Reykjavik, which was otherwise known as remote control, which has become some sort of, you know, massively kind of cult Icelandic comedy. And he worked in a lot of television comedy and stuff. And then apparently this film was a very big right turn for him. Like no one expected him to suddenly do a crime thriller. But I think the humour must come from him, I assume. We probably won't cover remote control because it's not noughties, but good to know that that's where he's come from. Another fact for you, uh, the two sons, two Christopher's two sons, both Baltasar Cormaco's real sons. Oh, okay. Well, they definitely had a an easy dynamic, didn't they? Yeah, they're not in it much, but it is very relaxed when they're shopping, when yeah. they say goodbye to dad. It felt very much like they must know him well. Um, we have seen, so he's got three sons, those two, and then another much older son, who we did briefly see in 101 Reykjavik, uncredited, forget who he plays, but he's there. um, And he's much better known for appearing in Catler and Trapped. He plays a very pivotal role in the first series of Trapped, actually. His name is Baltasar Brecky Semper. So I'm sure we'll be seeing him again at some point, if indeed he decides to keep acting, because I know he's... As they all do, everyone works multiple jobs and he certainly uh, helped out directing, assistant producing, special effecting and all of that kind of thing. Um, So I just thought that was fun to see a bit of family work going on. And final fact for you, this was Iceland's entry for the Oscars (laughs) (laughs) in in whatever year it was, uh, 2009 probably. And like you say, it doesn't really feel like an Oscar entry, does it? Especially when you think about how Lamb was this year's Oscar entry. Unsurprisingly, it didn't make it to the shortlist, you know, to actually be considered to win. But when you hear what was nominated and what won that year, it's very easy to see why. So it was up against Michael Haneke's The White Ribbon from Germany, the French film A Prophet with Tahar Rahim, uh, and the film that won was The Secret in Their Eyes, the Argentinian film, which again is absolutely brilliant well it does have some dodgy old age makeup in it towards <laughs> from what i can remember but yes uh great that it got submitted but unsurprising that it uh didn't quite make the list <laughs> 
Better luck next time. So you know Svein, who is on the ship? Yep. One of our kind of merry accomplices. <laughs> yes. Well, he's played by an actor called Magnus Jonsson, mm-hmm. who got in touch with us via our Instagram page, uh, which is Quickminderpod on Instagram. K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D. <laughs> uh, and he got in touch to say he'd made a film and would we like to see it and we'd like to talk about it. And since he popped up in Reykjavik, Rotterdam, I thought, why not have a quick chat about it now? Yeah, so we watched it, didn't we? We did. Um, this is a film by Magnus Jonsson. He directed it, like I say, he wrote it. He stars in it. He doesn't, well, he doesn't star, he's in it. He produced it. He did the music. He did the costumes. He edited the sound. He did the colour grade. This guy... A one-man band. It's incredible. Uh, and it was filmed over nine days. And do you want to give us sort of the story of Taka Fim? Take five. So it's a great premise. It's a premise that really like appeals to me. (laughs) So five leading lights of the um, film and the artistic scene. Um, So we have an actor, we have a screenwriter, we have a director, a questionable art guy (laughs) and an eminent musician. Mm -hmm. All wake up in some abandoned barn as attached to a farmhouse and they have a note a letter that says you've been kidnapped you have to make a film with me (laughs) how are you going to fight me with no sword So it turns out that basically this guy has been living on his own. He's possibly had a slightly strange childhood. And he communicates. He lives for movies. He's obsessed with old movies. He speaks as if he was in an old movie and basically only repeats lines from old movies. And he's got this grand dream of creating this amazing film. Hence why he's kidnapped them all. They can't escape, else they'll be electrocuted. Mechanisms, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and that's basically it. They have to kind of do a DIY home movie, very B-movie type of situation. Yeah. It's quite incredible, really. It's like Saw, but <laughs> for films. I mean, it's a great premise. Yeah. And so it's kind of mad. I Like you say, the, the main character, Mr. R, 
I wasn't initially sure whether he was had split personality disorder or or what because he's constantly repeating lines from classic films because of course we see that he was raised mostly by his mum uh, and when things were bad she would turn mm. to film along with him and sort of just take comfort in film mm. and what I really liked about this film actually is how kind of it relates to our podcast in that this guy finds comfort in film he finds the best in those movies that he watches and he has a passion for it and it's just I mean that's what I'm, I hope that we are sort of conveying through this podcast is our passion for the films we and watch. the listeners are our kidnappees who are forced <laughs> to come on this journey with us um I thought that there were quite nicely drawn caricatures I think it's fair to say caricature they're kind yeah. of stock characters yes exactly so we have the kind of moody sultry um musician but again we find out he has a bit more depth we have the kind of <laughs> the farty director <laughs> and i mean literally farty because he's got some gastrointestinal issue um who what who's just makes big action blockbusters and wants bash crank wallop we have the the actress who takes herself super seriously and is a, you know, a I'm method an actor, actress. darling. An actor. So I thought all of those were quite fun. And it's, I mean, it's full of jokes. It's quite funny, isn't it? Is it is quite funny, yeah. I wasn't initially sure with the farts. I was like, you can't sustain a film on fart gags. Like, I love a fart gag. But, mm. I, you know, if that's all this is, I'm, I'm not sure. But it wasn't. Like I said, it's about film. And you talked about the director there who makes these big... Hollywood ripoffs, which in our experience isn't something that Iceland really does mm. uh, until now with Lainey Lugger, Cop Secret. Uh, we haven't really seen a Hollywood style movie come out from Iceland, but the actress sort of looks down on him for that. Mm. She's super serious. And I really just love that kind of dichotomy of the two of them just sort of butting heads with these two interpretations of what film should be, because it can all exist as we've mm. seen on the podcast. And there was also the kind of joyous reveling in the DIY-ness of it all. Mm. So obviously the film they make is meant to be quite crap, but kind of getting swept up in that. And, you know, it's like the team's all back together well, and they it. forge friendships. And That's it. You see the relationships, you see the relationships building and everyone by the end has learned to work together and... They're all glad they were kidnapped in the end. <laughs> I am a princess, and I want to be your friend. Okay, but I really liked watching the video of the film they were making. I mean, it made absolutely no sense. And that was quite a funny recurring joke that Mr. R kept adding mm. more and more sort of story to this really complex kind of... I'm not even sure it sounded like a soap opera, as they say. It began sounding a bit like I Remember You with this this, this remote <laughs> village that's been abandoned in wherever the West Fjords in the snow and you can't get to it other than by boat. I was like, oh, this is familiar territory. Unfortunately, they couldn't uh, recreate that <laughs> in a barn, could they? But um, no, it was really fun to watch those lo-fi scenes. It reminded me a bit of, um, what's that Michelle Gondry film with Jack Black? Uh, oh, be kind. Rewind, where they 
they lose all the tapes or something and they recreate the films in a Michel Gondry style way. It just sort of reminded me of that. And the whole thing was just a glorious kind of fun embrace of film as an art form, wasn't it? Yeah, totally. That's exactly what it was. So thank you, Magnus, for sharing your film with us. That's Taka Fim. And it can be found on Vimeo where you can rent or buy it. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. Um, and we we really enjoyed it. It's it's a low budget, lo-fi movie. But as we say, and as the film would say, if you can make a film, if you want to make a film, it is possible. And this podcast is all about kind of exploring all the varieties of films coming out of Iceland. So uh, thank you very much for that. You know what? Reykjavik Rotterdam being so kinetic, fun and funny has absolutely inspired me to go and rewatch the Oceans trilogy and also reminded me of the fantastic Danish film set aboard a container ship, A Hijacking from 2012. Slightly more intense, but amazing nonetheless. Next week, we head back to the Icelandic countryside. Told you we would. For Benedict Erlingsons of Horses and Men. It's currently available to rent or buy on Amazon or Apple and I'll post links for the film on our social media channels. Speaking of which, we're at Kvikminderpod on Instagram and Twitter, and if you could leave us a lovely rating and review at Apple and Spotify, we'd be immensely grateful. See you next week. Tack bless. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>